It is a privilege to preach here today. In the growing years of our family, my husband Glenn and I were active here in this congregation, but now for the last decade or a bit more than that, both of us have been, uh, had been serving in other congregations and other places. And now this year we have come among you again and are gradually reconnecting in this time. In this still unusual time, I would say, because for all of us, this month marks three years since the pandemic began. Do you remember that Sunday in March, right about now, when everything shut down. And for a brief period of time that March, we imagined that maybe we would be back in church by Easter or quite possibly by Pentecost. We are all still living with both the grief and the growth. We have all been shaped in some profound ways by these years of pandemic time, by the twists and turns of the pandemic. And yet at an even deeper level, we have also kept on being shaped by Jesus. On this fourth Sunday of Lent, our focus is on light, being shaped by light. In the Gospel of John chapter nine, we hear Jesus saying, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. On this Sunday, with the first day of spring just days away now, we can almost begin to feel the power of light to bring new growth. And today, with Palm Sunday only two weeks away, it is as if we are following the twists and turns with Jesus and the disciples as they make their way to the cross and the resurrection. There is much going on in this brilliant story in John 9 that we're exploring today. And you heard the writer of John takes 41 verses to tell this story, to tell what is happening there. This story is a gospel story full of good news. And at the same time, this story also uses some language that we want to be careful with, or we could easily misinterpret it, and we'll notice a few of those cautions too. So let's see where John 9 takes us. In this story, a healing takes place. That's the first part. And then a healing sparks an investigation. That's the second part. The story begins somewhere outdoors, soon after Jesus has left the temple in Jerusalem, maybe just down the street from there. A young man who was blind from birth catches Jesus' eye. Seeing him, Jesus stops 
and listens and heals him. We call that healing a miracle. The gospel calls it a sign, a sign that Jesus had come from God and not just from Galilee. But not everyone trusted that Jesus had come from God. After all, there were, at that time, many so-called healers crisscrossing the countryside. So when another healer came along, people wondered, who is this? Is this one a magician who is really good with his tricks, his sleight of hand? Or is this one a true healer? People were watching, and this is what they saw. There with the young man, Jesus bent down, took dirt and saliva, and mixed it into a ball of mud, smeared it on the blind man's eyes like a soothing, healing salve. When Jesus had done his part with the mud, he sent the young man off to do his part, telling him, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. That pool of healing waters was close by. This fellow, whose name we don't know, went and washed, and he came back able to see. Never before in all the world has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. This is an astonishing thing, he said. For the one who has been blind and now can see, this day would be truly unforgettable. When you are the one who has regained a sense of well-being, even if your chronic condition cannot be cured, when you are the one who can feel joy again after a long season of grief, when you have finally made it through some intense crisis to the other side, when you are that person who has found some measure of healing in body or mind or spirit, then that experience of God's healing becomes memorable and precious. A moment like that can shape your life in a way that lives on deep within your being. It can fill your soul with awe and gratitude. In a personal way, I felt again in this week the way that care in life's biggest moments often comes through both the knowledge of medicine and the love of community. Our fourth grandchild was born this week in the wee hours of Thursday morning. This newborn and her family 
have been guided well by the wisdom of midwives especially and the generosity and love of friends. In that world of meal trains and playgrounds and swaddling clothes, there is much work and much beauty. This week, present with them in their home, I felt immersed in these physical and spiritual gifts. There in Jerusalem, the young man with Jesus had been known and loved. His parents are here in the story. And the neighbors are close by, gathered round. Over the years, he had felt the warmth of the Middle Eastern sun on his skin, but he had never seen the dawn break or watched the way light sparkles on water at midday. He had never seen the sunsets glow in the western sky. Yet his desire, we hear, his desire to live life fully had kept him alert, kept him connected to the people around him and connected to God. His inner sight was strong. All his life, he had been waiting for this moment. This is a moment you want to hang on to when it comes. But for many of those looking on that day, Jesus' healing work along that road sparked not joy, but an investigation. Did you notice this shift in the story as we heard it? All eyes had been on Jesus and on the one being healed, especially in that moment. But now the tone changes and the story takes a turn. The questions start coming from the cluster of people around them. These people will not put up with anyone pulling the wool over their eyes. The questions fly. I counted at least 15 questions in this passage, not, and that doesn't include all the questions that were asked multiple times. Those questions coming from those people cannot be brushed aside, and they shouldn't be. They asked Jesus, where exactly do you come from? And they want to know who sinned, this man or his parents. They asked the parents, was he really born blind? And they asked the neighbors, is this one of the beggars we saw along the road? And they asked the young man himself, who healed you and how? They kept on asking, and he kept on saying, how? Until he finally turned the question around, faced them, and asked them teasingly, why do you keep on asking? Do you also 
want to be a disciple of this prophet, Jesus? Did he have a twinkle in his eye, I wonder? Or was he just put off by them? Then and there, when people needed to investigate or interpret or discern something, where did they go if they needed to sort things out? In our day, in times like this, we use the word discernment, and we have processes we use when we need to come to a decision on something important, something that matters in the community or in our personal lives. This congregation, I have often thought, has the capacity, the staying power, the heart, to face the work of discernment when it is time and to keep praying throughout all those days that love and honesty and truth and light will carry us through. It takes courage for that work. There in Jerusalem, around Jesus, the questions had started an investigation and these days, in our world, I'm hearing quite a lot in the news about investigations. All the way from Washington, D.C., in our public life, to church bodies. And many of these are necessary investigations, at least most of them, maybe. There in the first century, when people needed to interpret something, where did they go? Well, they went, and we heard it again today, they went to the Pharisees, usually. We tend to react to the Pharisees negatively often, but commentators who know how things really worked back then, they advise us, give those Pharisees a break. It was their duty to interpret the scripture, which was also Jesus' scripture, remember. They were doing their job. But in this story, the Pharisees simply could not agree on whether or not the man really had been born blind or whether or not Jesus had really healed him. And as they're talking, it begins to sound like they have a big problem with the Jews. The parents themselves, when asked what they think really happened there in that moment, the parents themselves will not say because they are afraid of the Jews. But they themselves were Jewish. So if they were all Jewish, then why were they afraid of the Jews? Well, here's the thing. At the time, the Gospel of John was being written down the synagogues were becoming more diverse. People with different backgrounds, Jewish, Gentile, Samaritan, were starting to join the, the same synagogues in some of the synagogues. The Samaritan woman in last Sunday's scripture story could have joined a Jewish synagogue in that day. Different backgrounds, different family stories, but in faith, 
they were all Jewish. So if we are ever tempted to think, to read and to think of the gospel as thinking the Jews were the enemies, the problem, then we'll need to reconsider. This was an internal conflict within faith communities. And of course here, I'm not talking about Israel or any other nation, but about faith communities. In coming weeks, as we read the Passion Week stories and the Easter stories in John's Gospel, we will come across some of this harsh sounding language and we need to understand why it is there and what it meant to them in that day. We see one other example of this kind of either or language that we'll take a quick look at before we leave this story. And that is the way this gospel sometimes talks about darkness and light. Darkness in this gospel can sound all negative and light can sound all positive. Sometimes we call this dualism. We know that darkness can be disorienting and scary, but nighttime can also be cozy and comforting and restful. It takes the darkness of the womb nine months for a baby to grow. God created night and day, and God said that was very good. In our lives, in these days, we often walk in shadows. We often walk between darkness and light. Helen Keller, the writer and advocate who lost her eyesight as a child, once said, I would rather walk in the dark with a friend than to walk in the light alone. Over the ages, this scripture story has often been used as a way to talk about spiritual growth. It was often used as the passage, as the basis for the homily or the sermon in the early centuries at the time of baptism. And baptism in those days was often referred to as enlightenment or illumination. This story we have heard today, the story that we are taking into our hearts and souls today, this story is bold and courageous. It has brought us close to Jesus, who is revealed here as a true healer. We have been brought close to a community of that day that liked to investigate things. And we have been brought close to the young man who once was blind, but now can see. And now, at the end of the story, his courageous question comes across the centuries to all of us 
gathered around scripture today. Today he asks each of us and all of us together, what about you? Do you also want to be a disciple of this prophet Jesus? Do you want to keep on being a disciple of this prophet Jesus? Today in scripture, this prophet Jesus has also been named shepherd, rabbi, son of man, healer, light of the world. In our desire in these days to keep on being disciples of Jesus in the twists and turns of our lives, we are not alone. As we sang the phrase in one of the hymns this morning, God will bear us through. Here we are. It's almost springtime when it is easy to see the power of light to bring growth. And if we pause to listen, maybe we will again first see Jesus and then hear him saying, I am the light of the world. May God keep opening our eyes to that light. Let us pray. Glory to you, O Christ. Today in scripture, we have heard you named shepherd, rabbi, prophet, son of man, healer, light of the world. By your Holy Spirit alive in this created world, in the twists and turns of our own lives, we want to keep walking with you, to keep growing in the power of your light, and we cannot do it alone. Open our eyes, we pray. Amen. <laughs>